0: This podcast is brought to you by The Province.
1: listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am your host, as always, E. Spencer Kite, back from UFC 197 in Las Vegas last weekend. Here to talk about that show and where some of the people from that card go moving forward. As well as the Conor McGregor saga, with my punch drunk predictions partner in crime, Patrick Shvicklinski, Patty, what would you think? UFC One Nine Seven. We we didn't get the John Jones brilliance that a lot of people expected, but a great card overall in my estimation. What about you? Yeah,
0: I completely agree with that. I mean, it's uh, one of those things where it's hard to please everybody, especially you know, given John Jones's. Uh, absence for the for the last little while uh, a lot of people were expecting him to come in and and just absolutely wreck a guy on completely short notice in Ovince St. Preux. Um, I think you know a lot of the expectations for for Jones's return were you know elevated so high that no matter really what he did I think people were going to be disappointed and I think we saw a bit of that. Obviously, it wasn't the performance that, you know, uh, most of us maybe expected from from Jones, given his, you know, explosive nature in the past and how dominant he's been. Um, but it looked to me like he was a guy who, you know, came in there very calculated and, and still had a game plan against a, a very tricky fighter. I mean, as Jones alluded to. Um, In the post-fight press conference, the the opponent change going from D.C. to O.S.P., that's um, a completely different style of fighter to go against. And I think that um, he had to adjust and and do some things differently Uh, Ovid St. cru obviously a little unorthodox. So I think it was a combination of of, of everything in that fight. It was the bit of ring rust, not being in that situation for a while, Um, the opponent change. And, you know, just Jones trying to get, you know, um, a feeling out there and and trying to get into a flow. And I think that while, you know, he didn't have that performance that made us all go, wow, I can't wait for for this DC rematch. It was something that he needed to do for himself and uh, to get, you know, a fight in the octagon after all that time off. and. I think it was, a, it was a good performance overall. I won't say it was a great performance, but it was a good performance.
1: See, and I still came away from it thinking, wow, I can't wait to see this DC rematch. Um, I know that I picked John Jones to win my first-round TKO on the predictions this week. Clearly, that didn't happen. The fight went the distance with John Jones winning a unanimous decision, sweeping the scorecards. But I was still impressed. I mean, I think as the week went on and, and as the fight started, I sort of had that reminder of, oh yeah, it has been 15 months since this guy fought. It's three weeks notice to fight a completely different stylistic opponent, as you alluded to. And then kind of reminded myself as the fight was going on and actually tweeted out, like it might be good for John Jones to get 25 minutes in the cage with live, with live competition. He hasn't had that since his last fight with DC. And at the end of the day, he went out there and made the number six ranked light heavyweight in the world, or in the UFC, I should say, look like he didn't even have any business with him in the cage. Now, I understand that's something we've come to expect from Jon Jones because he's dominated even better competition over the years, but the the part that we're missing there is that that's when he's fighting regularly, that's when he's you know, in camp, there's no changes, everything goes according to plan. There was a lot of stuff on this dude's plate over the last 15 months and even, you know, he spent two nights of this ab- abbreviated training camp in jail. So, I think we're I think we're sort of looking we were looking for there to be just this great reminder of oh my god, he hasn't lost anything and instead we got a very good performance against a guy that's difficult to deal with that, you know, by about the third round we found out afterwards that he broke his arm, so probably somewhere in that second third round is when he realizes that, and from then on out o s p really didn't look to initiate at all, and so you end up with a fight where John's doing a lot of stalking, a lot of walking him down o s p didn't land any real good shots after that second round where he landed a clean right hand that sort of or a clean left hand that sort of made everybody sort of sit back and do the like hang on, mm-hmm. wait a minute <laughs> um so for me, this is and and I wrote about this on Fansided on Monday, this is another one of those cases where I know it wasn't the way it was supposed to go down, but I have no problem with this ending up being a tune-up fight because I do believe it means we will see an even better version of John Jones when he gets back in the cage next time, which will be against Daniel Cormier, but we don't know when yet.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the, uh, another thing that I think bothered me uh, throughout this whole situation was people coming out of the woodwork and saying, well, if Daniel Cormier was in the Octagon he would have beat John Jones. I mean, I think you know that's that's kind of you know uh, a big discredit to John Jones and and uh, you know his kind of game planning for fights as as you said, I mean he's a guy who's very meticulous with Greg Jackson, you know he, he sits down and they and they plan these fights out. They really go through a map and they really, locate the weaknesses of their opponents and when you have a late opponent switch like that that does have an impact it doesn't matter if you're john jones or joe schmo like it it does have an impact so i think all these people who said you know dc would have you know um you know beat john jones if if this version of john jones was out there well, I don't think that's necessarily true because that version of John Jones that came out there, he would have been prepared for Daniel Cormier for 5 rounds. So, I think that, you know, it is a discredit to John Jones to say that, you know, that performance was was lackluster and I t- completely agree with you that it's something that he needed to have as a, as a tune-up fight, as something to just get minutes in and you know, all, you know, o- St. Pru You know, hats off to him because he, you know, he was really tough in there, didn't get finished and came in there and, and, you know, did did his thing. I mean, he was obviously, you know, you could definitely see the difference in sort of levels that these guys were at. But um, very tough guy. And uh, Jones had some difficulty kind of figuring him out. So I think that it was definitely a performance that Jones needed. He needed to get back in there and just feel that, you know, uh, that octagon feel again. Get in there and feel those octagon dimensions. Feel that canvas under his feet. Everything he needed, and I think it's only going to make him better for this DC Marie match.
1: I think it's definitely hats off to OSP for the performance. I know a lot of people sort of going into that fourth and fifth round were saying this is a guy that's fighting not to lose, and he seems content with, or sorry not fighting to win. He seemed content to basically lose a decision. When you find out that the guy's got a broken arm, I think that creates some mitigating circumstances. At the same time, we sort of always expected there and understood that there is a clear demarcation in that division where it's Jones and DC and then AJ and Alexander Gustafson And then kind of everybody else. And OSP is very much in that everybody else. Maybe Glover Teixeira is in that AJ Gustafson group Mm -hmm. um, because he has looked good as of late. But OSP just isn't on that level. And for me, for him to go in there and take the fight on three weeks notice to land a couple of good shots, to gut out three rounds, two and a half rounds, whatever it was, with a busted arm and not just sort of... There were moments where he could have gotten himself out of the fight when John Jones took him down and his landing elbows on him. Um, You know, you land awkwardly on that arm on a couple of those slams and you just sort of look up at the ref and you're like, you know what? My arm's jacked up. Get me out of (laughs) here. And he didn't. And so credit to him for that. I do disagree with you on the, not necessarily that I think Daniel Cormier guaranteed would have win, would have won. But I do think that part of why DC was extra gutted about missing out on this fight Is that he knew John Jones after 15 months on the sidelines? Isn't the same John Jones that you're gonna get when this fight happens in the future? Isn't the same John Jones that he got, you know, the first time they fought? Even though John has taken some longer periods of time off, there's never been a moment where he was dealing with as much adversity and as many questions as he has been dealing with over this last 15 months. Compound that with not having been in the cage, compound that again with spending two nights, two weeks before the fight in jail. And I do think that this was a very good opportunity for Daniel Cormier, who has talked about making adjustments, who has talked about, you know, that first fight being an eye opener and giving him such a great blueprint, in his words, to work from going forward. That I do think this fight would have been different could have been different may have been the opportunity for Daniel Cormier to beat him I still think that exists in the future but I do think John Jones without some of that rust becomes an interesting an even diff- more difficult proposition because he doesn't have that 15 month gap between fights but we do know we're going to get this fight it's just a question of when we are taping this on Monday night it will be up As soon as we're done, so it'll be available on Tuesday morning. Daniel Cormier was supposed to go into the doctor this evening to find out about his leg, about his shin, um, and, and maybe get clearance. If they can't do this at UFC 200, do you think it makes sense to just press pause a little bit and hold it for the New York show? Or do you give DC sort of what he's asked for of let me get back as quickly as I can?
0: Um, I mean, I think at this point, if it doesn't go down at 200, it's such a, you know, it's such a huge fight right now that I think it, it has to go down at, at, you know, Madison Square Garden in New York. I mean, it just makes sense from, um, you know, that mainstream appeal perspective and going into that huge market in New York. You need a fight like that, of that magnitude, um, you know. DC versus Jones do would certainly fit the bill. So I think that um, if it doesn't go down at two hundred, and hopefully you know we'll find out uh, shortly or by the time this podcast is up, um, you know then we'll you know we'll have a better gauge of what's going on. But I think that um, but you know I, I agree. I, you know I think the the notion of having this on a major card. Like a two hundred or like the New York card, it just makes the most sense. I don't think you slap this on a sort of random, you know, Vegas show late in the summer in the fall. Um, I think that it it just makes a lot of sense. Jones is from that, you know, area. It 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 just clicks on all cylinders for me. And
1: the other part too, saw today on Twitter Daniel Cormier talking about if we do this, when we do this, I want there to be a media tour. I want to make a stop in. In New Orleans, in my home state, I think that's only right, which Dave Schaller then re- replied to that he was going to the gym to continue working out, expecting, <laughs> expecting to have to stop himself from getting thrown through a backdrop again. <laughs> I think it makes sense as well. I think if DC gets cleared, it's the clear choice to make the new headliner for UFC 200. We will get into some of that later in the show as to why there is a need for a new headliner or we think there is a need for a new headliner or we're not sure there's a need for a new headliner. But if they can't <laughs> if they can't make that happen, I do think you hold it. I don't think you run it out at 201 or 202, um, wherever those are going to be. I think there's other fights, as you said. You need this fight on a major event, I think doing Jon Jones and then the return of Ronda Rousey in New York City would just be an absolute blockbuster in November. Another guy from Saturday Night who didn't didn't deliver that performance that we expected, but in a good way, is Demetrius Mighty Mose Johnson, who went out and absolutely trucked Henry Cejudo. And now I say that with all due respect to Henry Cejudo, who I think is a very, very good fighter. I think he is... Better than a lot of people are giving him credit for today. Um, I think he's better than a lot of people are giving him credit for immediately following Saturday night's sub-three-minute destruction by Demetrius Johnson. Um, As the week went on, I sort of thought this is a fight that I thought DJ was going to destroy him, but in that sort of the way DJ destroyed John Dodson the second time around, where he's just beating him up, staying out of the clinch, outworking him over 25 minutes and instead he went into the clinch buried a knee in the midsection heard Henry Cejudo gasp and just never let up put him on rubber legs with a knee to the head finished him with strikes brilliant performance as I said to you in the little email text message setting this up the question is DJ DJ at this point amazing or amazing (laughs) amazing for sure I mean Everything about that performance
0: was absolutely incredible. I mean, from from that start, you know, where you know Sahudo landed that early takedown, you know, DJ got right back up and right to work. It seemed like you know he had a little extra, you know, um, you know a little extra motivation to just kind of finish Sahudo early. It's like, oh, you're gonna take me down? Well, let me do this, and then he just put him up against the cage and just went to town on him with those brutal, brutal knees and it was one of those performances that I think is a star making performance, really. I mean, if if you can't get on, you know, the Mighty Mouse bandwagon right now, then, you know, I don't know what to do for you. <laughs> you you probably should watch another sport or something like that. It's it was a it was a monumental performance. I think we're gonna look back and be like, wow, that that one was was a special night for for mighty mouse and and yeah you know there's there's um you know some argument to be made that you know cejudo perhaps wasn't ready for that opportunity but listen i mean you know he's cleared out the best of the best in that division and cleared you know them out twice you know with <laughs> a couple and, of them and twice, and yeah. yeah so i mean who who la- who who was left, you know, and and Cejudo came in there, and Cejudo was very confident. I mean, uh, you you were at media week. I mean, was what, did you get that feeling from him that you know he was sort of you know in that mindset? Because I mean, watching it, it felt like he was very much believing that he was going to win.
1: Oh, the whole way through, and in the, in the entire build up to this, Henry Cejudo was confident that you know this was going to be where everybody saw the difference between an Olympic-caliber athlete, and an elite martial mixed martial artist. He believed that his wrestling, and, and kudos to Henry Cejudo for showing up at the pre- post-fight press conference and admitting, listen, I underestimated what his clinch was going to be like. I thought I'd be able to hold him on the ground. He's stronger than I thought. He killed me with that first knee. All respect to him. This dude is a monster. Yeah. Big shouts to Cejudo for admitting that. If you've been following me on Twitter, if you've listened to this podcast, read my work, you know I am a huge Team Mighty Mouse guy. Um, I was shouting some stuff on Twitter in all caps after the fight about his greatness, and I'm in the same camp as you, where it's, if this isn't enough to get you out of the yeah but" camp with Demetrius Johnson, I got nothing for you. Because this was as good a performance as we have seen in a championship fight, in a long, long, like, I can't remember the last championship fight that ended in the first round in such dominant fashion, where it wasn't some, you know, Matt Sarah landing that random shot on GSP. This was a destruction by a dude that is truthfully the most complete fighter in the sport. And the thing that I like the most, and every time I go to Demetrius Johnson fights, one of the things I love is spending 20, 30 minutes over the course of the week talking to his coaches, Matt Hume and Brad Kurtzen. Uh, DJ refers to them as the head chef and the sous chef. I do the same (laughs) now. And just kind of soaking in what they have to say about DJ's evolution and the way that they put stuff together. And this week, Matt Hume basically said, a perfect fight for me is if I sit in the corner and don't have to say anything because DJ should already know what I'm thinking and what I want him to do and it should just be committed to memory. And I asked him after the After the fight, I said, congratulations, did you have to talk? And he said, I shouted me a couple of times, but that was pretty (laughs) close. Like, that was pretty good. And DJ used the words organic fighting with Joe Rogan, and I think that's what impresses me the most about him, is that it's not a game plan, it's not a strategy of, I'm going to work. Like, he didn't go in there thinking, I'm going to work to get in the clinch, and I can beat him there Everything for them is fluid and sort of it's a flow chart. If you get here, do this. If you get there, do that. If that doesn't work, try. and it just moves in pieces and they're all elements that he has stuck in his head. And I know elite fighters get to that level, and I think John Jones, as Brandon Gibson called him last week, is one of the best improvisational fighters in the sport. But Demetrius Johnson, for me is on a different level than everyone other than John Jones. And I think it's time that we just recognize that. Like, I said he was one of the top five greatest of all time after that performance and got a bunch of crazy looks. But if you look at his resume, you look at what he's done, as you said, beaten the number one and number two guy in the division twice each. He has five other top ten wins along with that. Ten straight victories, eight straight title defenses. Dude is just killing it. Which brings us to where we are now with a lot of people saying, what comes next? The obvious thing that everyone is bringing up is a super fight with Dominic Cruz, the reigning bantamweight champ, the last man to defeat Demetrius Johnson. But DJ and NA's coaching staff have said that they are very much focused on Anderson Silva's record for consecutive successful title defenses, which stands at 10. They are at 8. So my question to you, which would you prefer to see next? Continue going after the record or get him up into bantamweight and see what he can do.
0: Uh yeah, I'd like to see him fight Sergio Pettis. No, I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, I think that. See, and um, I don't want to sacrifice Sergio Pettis, but yeah. we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to. I'll yeah, do all due respect to Sergio
0: Pettis. I mean, um, but I think that for for my money, what I would like to see, I mean, I, I would love to see him go up to to bantamweight to fight. Um, you know, Dominic Cruz, because I think he's just evolved so much uh since that first fight with Dominic Cruz, and I really, truly believe that he could you know stand with them and potentially beat him it's It's gotten to that you know crazy level where he has so much swagger, has that <laughs> championship confidence and he's doing every single little thing right. He goes out there and and I love that point that you made about, you know, uh organic fighting because it feels that way when you watch him. If something, you know, isn't working or something uh, kind of looks off, he'll, you know, he'll adjust right on the fly and then he'll catch it with something else. This guy, you know, is his fight IQ is just so high and he can put together all those weapons in such a way that it just, you know, makes all those other guys look very average. Um, So I really don't, you know, see who else he could fight in that flyweight division that could give him a remote challenge, honestly. (laughs) So, um, you know, if it's not not a third fight with Benavides, you know, I I don't know if that's something that's even on the table. You know, Benavides is obviously a guy who's been – you know, that the, in that sort of awkward number two spot where he's better than, you know, most of the other guys in that division. Um, Dodson he, went he's
1: up. Very, he's I, very much stuck in the Rich Franklin zone. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, you know, Dodson recently went up. I would, I would not be upset one bit if we saw Mighty Mouse go up to 35. I know his coaches and, you know, and him were saying that they want to go for that Anderson Silva record. But, I mean how much more impressive would it be if he went up there and, you know, and stunted on friggin' Dominic Cruz. And, and I think he's at that level that he can actually potentially do that. So it, it's incredible. I would love to see him fight at bantamweight. I don't know. What do you think?
1: (laughs) I'm going to preface what I'm saying with, there is no part of me that would not be interested in seeing him fight Dominic Cruz. I absolutely would love to see that fight happen again at some point. Um, And I can see the positives of moving him up. I mean, first and foremost, all of this discussion is predicated on Dominic Cruz, A, staying healthy, B, defeating Uriah Faber at UFC 199 when they fight for a third time. Uh, The latter, I think, is going to happen. The former, you never know with Dominic Cruz, which was one of Matt Hume's points of like, if we make this decision to go up and then Dominic gets gets hurt, then what? Then we've lost a bunch of time. Um, And I... I think that, you know, if they did it, it buys some of the young guns that are working their way up the ladder at 35, a little extra time to progress. It means you don't have to rush a Cody No Love or a Thomas Almeida or an Aljamain Sterling into that championship mix right away. As much as all of those guys believe they're ready and want it right away. One extra fight, two extra fights, never a bad thing when you're still kids under 25, under I think Aljo maybe is 27, but... In that, just hitting your prime stage. But for me, I love the history of it. I think this is a time, and wrote about it on Monday on Keyboard Kimura, this is the time to just, after that performance, get behind DJ, not from a, is this next guy, the guy that might knock him off, and and this is his toughest test to date, as we Uh always hear in the UFC trailers. But to get at it from the Anderson Silva perspective of, this dude is chasing greatness, Only five fighters have ever had as many successful consecutive title defenses as he has. The rest of them are dudes we speak about in hushed, reverent tones like Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre and John Jones and Jose Aldo. And so if he's in that boat and he's one of five guys to win 10 straight, start plugging that like that's the sell to me. I understand that there aren't necessarily guys hanging out in the flyweight division that look qualified and ready. Joseph Benavidez is the most deserving of everybody that's there. It's been a few years since their second fight. I think you could do a third. It would need to be the co-main event. I think that's the other part of it for me is that if you just keep DJ as the co-main event on some of these bigger fight cards alongside another championship fight that people are really into, you can get that buzz and you can continue to build that momentum. I honestly wouldn't be mad at the, at the UFC going out And signing a guy like Alexander Pantoia, who is the RFA champion right now, very talented Brazilian, and just bringing him in and giving him a shot right away because who else is there? This needs to be, for me, about Demetrius Johnson, about chasing history, about giving this dude the chance to do what he wants to do, pursuing that record, getting closer to it, maybe eclipsing it. And if he does, then you're looking at Anderson Silva's 16 straight wins. That's within range. And then maybe you look at Bantamweight. The other part of it is, DJ has said all along, yeah, I will happily go up to Bantamweight for $2 million. (laughs) And and they had that little moment at the press conference. Somebody asked him about it, and he said, I'm just trying to pay him. He, He did his usual, DJ. I'm just trying to pay my bills. When I say that, I'm serious. I legitimately just want to pay my bills. And Dana White sort of interjected on the end of like, that means how much are you going to pay me? Dana and DJ just kind of chuckled and it's true I asked him about it going into the fight like a month ago and I said is the number still the same he said absolutely so Mm -hmm. for anybody wanting to see that fight the number is two million dollars and it won't happen until Dominic Cruz gets through Uriah Faber so for now we'll sort of put a pin in that one end of the day Demetrius Johnson has a phenomenal performance at UFC 197 And if you're not paying attention yet and you're not in love with this dude yet, (laughs) Patrick and I have have nothing for you. There's just, there's (laughs) nothing left. It was that good.
0: Absolutely.
1: It's it's the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. E. Spencer Kite, Patrick shevik talking about UFC 197 and where some guys go. Before we get into the subject that has overshadowed last week and looks like it's going to be the topic of discussion this week, I just want to look at a couple other people that performed really well over the weekend people that stood out for you the one for me and i know it's one for you yair rodriguez um whether you call him chelito like the guys from jackson wink do or you call him el pantera like the crowd was chanting that was a oh my god holy shit moment um it happened directly in front of us at the end of sort of press row um myself Danny Austin of the Calgary Sun, friend of the podcast, and Dave Schaller are sort of one, two, three at the end of the row and all just gasped audibly. Uh, It is the craziest knockout I have seen live and in person, and I have seen some crazy knockouts. What were... Like, did you just jump off your couch and throw whatever food, beverage, (laughs) anything that was with you into the air? Like, was the lady sleeping on your lap and you just woke her up cause you jumped up and she was like, what the hell dude. And then saw the replay and was like, yeah, that's fair. Cause that's yeah. what happened at my house.
0: We were at shark club actually. And, um, you know, the moment that that happened, everyone just like went into absolute chaos. It was like, what? Like crazy. I mean, everyone was just screaming like this is the absolute craziest thing. And then when the replay played, everyone just (laughs) went completely silent and watched just this thing happen. And after they saw it again in slow-mo, they just went crazy again. So, I mean, I was one of those dudes who was like throwing my drink in the air and like throwing a bunch of fries and stuff. It was insane. Um, Definitely one of the most nasty knockouts I've ever seen. Um, And I can't even imagine what it was like (laughs) seeing that in person because... I mean, from where I was sitting, even watching it on TV, it looked just absolutely nasty.
1: I don't know if you've ever been to a... Shout out to the people that used to play across the street from me, the Victoria Harbour Cats. I don't know if you've ever been to a Harbour Cats game live. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever been to a Jays game or a Mariners game live and you've heard a home run, like a no-doubt home run, when it connects with the bat. That's what it sounded like. It just sounded like that thud of perfect contact, um, Andre Feely collapsed in a heap. Glad to see him up and, you know, okay after the fact. Um, but it was, it was insane. It was crazy. And the funny thing is, is that Thursday on media day, Danny and I were over talking to Yair, asking him some questions as you do on media day. And Danny prefaced his question with, this is going to sound stupid, but and asked him if he ever, sort of worries about throwing some of those kicks and and does he need to work on changing his style and what do not in a like hey man this is stupid and you shouldn't be throwing so many kicks but in a like do your coaches talk to you about these are ways to get taken down and kind of rein it in a little bit and he was like yeah my coaches are always giving me shit about it but this is the way I've fought since I was five. And this is the way I'm always going to fight. Fight. This mm-hmm. is sort of the Yair Rodriguez style. And then he goes out and does that. And it is absolutely bonkers. It is, for me, so far, the front runner on knockout of the year for 2016. And as I said in 10 things, it cements Yair Rodriguez as the best prospect in the sport. Period. Not in the division. Not in the UFC. Overall. My one thing is that I hope to God that the UFC slow plays this because he is, you know, bilingual, a great prospect in terms of building the Mexican market. He's 23 years old. That was his eighth fight. Let him come along slowly. There is no need to hustle him into stupid fights where he can get beat or pushed back or have his confidence crushed or anything like that. I understand that there's the desire to see these guys just, like, have this crazy ascension. But that highlight is going to, can sell him in fights for the next year against anybody. And so, just take your time with him. Let him come along. Now that we're done sort of marveling in the glow of El Pantera and what I christened the Pantera kick, what else (laughs) stood out for you from UFC 197?
0: I think um, the fight just after that. I mean, Robert Whittaker, um, you know, uh, great performance against Rafael Natal. Um, one of those performances that I think you know cements him in that in that middleweight mix to get a, a next level fight. I mean, he was supposed to have that already against Michael Bisbing in Scotland. Crazy, uh, fell right? through. Yeah, yeah, and it it, it was a it, it fell through. Um, I think, you know, he was definitely ready at that time already for a fight with Michael Bisping. And I said it, you know, on the picks that that's a fight that I think he would have won. And he came out and had a great performance against a very, very tough guy who, you know, wouldn't go away easy. So that's a performance that to me, you have to, you know, give Whitaker a, a next level fight. He is ready. He's right there. He needs a, you know, a top 10 guy for sure. I think, Um, you know, it's without a doubt right now. And um, I think that he just showed so much, you know, technical prowess in that fight and, you know, great utilization of of his jab and everything. And just a guy who I think will cause a lot of problems for a lot of different fighters in that division. Um, And he matches up well with a lot of guys. He's very physically strong too. So I would love to see him, you know, um in a fight against someone like a, you know, like a, of a Gegard Musasi kind of level. Um still, still maybe not against one of those top three, four guys there, but you know, give him give him the winner of Brunson Musasi coming up, something like that, I think would be definitely right up his alley. Um I, I would I would love to see something like that. And I think that he's well deserving of that, especially after uh having that Michael bisbing fight kind of fall through his hands there.
1: Yeah and the 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 tough part for Robert Whittaker going forward first and foremost he broke his hand so he's going to be laid up for you know 6 7 months I would I would imagine hopefully it's quicker than that but he's going to have some time off letting that heal up and and hopefully it doesn't require surgery the tough part is that he's sort of in that middle ground now where he's it feels like he's either going to get somebody that might be a little bit too tough like a gig like a Jacques Ray Souza or a Vitor Belfort, those two fight next month at UFC 198. So maybe the winner of that, or somebody that feels a little bit like a step back, as you were saying, like Derek Brunson or Thales Latis. Um Gagard Musasi is a bigger name, so that would be a good fight. The Whitaker is ahead of him in the rankings. It's odd because I really like the Michael Bispin fight. That's the fight I want to <laughs> see. But it's going to be hard to convince Michael Bisping to fight Robert Whitaker, a 25-year-old kid, coming on a good winning streak after he goes out and beats Anderson Silva uh, in London at home in this sort of crowning achievement moment where he probably did enough to earn the next title shot. So in a weird roundabout way, the broken hand might actually be a good thing for Whitaker because it gives the division a little bit more time. It gives somebody that makes better sense for him a chance to move forward. The great thing for him, and you hear it every time you talk to him, and I know a lot of guys say, I'm not looking past anyone, and I'm, you know, whoever's in front of me, but the thing I liked that he said at the post-fight press conference, and he said when I spoke to him a couple of times during the week was, if you fight at middleweight, you're on my list. Like, I want to beat everyone. So if it's the dude two spots behind me, or two spots in front of me, or somebody brand new to the organization, if they fight at 185, I am going to fight them and I am happy to fight them. And I think that's the right approach for someone in his position where he's not yet the most marketable guy. He's obviously somebody that can be built and and held out at the forefront of some of these Australia and New Zealand shows as he has been prior to this fighting four straight times at home. But I like that mindset of not, not necessarily caring. I understand how much we always say guys need to call other people out and You need to state your case and this and that. But if you're 25 and you just... Like, you see incrementally every fight with this kid that he's continuing to put it together. As you said, clean, crisp boxing. It's always there, but it's not quite the polished level and and that dynamic level that you want to see against that top five group. And so, go out and just keep putting in those rounds and putting in those wins and getting those victories and getting that experience And the time will come because I too think that Michael Bisping fight was very much a winnable fight and maybe it falling through was the best thing for him because it gives him a little bit more time to develop before he gets into that group. So with UFC 197 sort of covered, we don't need to go through everybody. I mean, there were some other good performances. Anthony Pettis losing three in a row is crazy. Edson Barbosa looked great in that fight. Um, the younger Pettis, Sergio, goes out, gets a good win over Chris Calaitis. I like that they are down at Jackson. Sergio spoke very highly of his time there. I think it will do him well to continue doing camps there. But this event and sort of last week, and it looks like, as I mentioned earlier, that this week has been overshadowed and kind of dominated by something that had nothing to do with last week's fight card in Las Vegas. And that, is, and that is the call. Con- <laughs> Hello? Oh, hi. <laughs> sorry. You just cut out there for a second. Um, that is the Conor McGregor saga, um, as I have dubbed it on Keyboard Kimura. Of course, last Tuesday as last Tuesday afternoon, Conor tweets out that he's retiring, catches later, all like that. As Danny and I are boarding a plane in Calgary to go to Las Vegas, Dave Schaller announces that he has been pulled from the card. We get the press conference on, we get the Thursday diatribe on Facebook from Connor explaining, I want to fight, but this is all that they asked. And we tried to find an agreement and blah, 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 get the Friday press conference, you know, empty chair where Connor is supposed to be. (laughs) Dana says, it's not happening. Nate says, I'm fighting Connor. or I'm going on vacation. None of us really believe Dana White at that point. We kind of feel like there's still room for them to, to fix this and make it better. We get up on Monday morning, and Connor has tweeted out, happy to tell you that I'm back. Respect to Dana and Lorenzo. Dana then says, I don't know why you would tweet that. That hasn't happened. And then Monday night, Nate tweets, looks like I'm going on vacation. Sort of deuces, I'm out. What the hell do you make out of all of this? I spent a week talking about it, so I'm a little bit exhausted. I've got a little bit of kush lash, but I'll let you go for a minute, and then I might jump back in.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is an absolute, you know, head scratcher as to what exactly is going on with this whole situation. I'm just as confused as everybody else. Um and it seems to me, you know, that it's it's just getting murkier and murkier the more things we hear, obviously conflicting, you know, reports from Connor uh recently that Hey, I'm back on. And Dana White says, not so fast. (laughs) So um, it's really tough to sort of gauge what exactly is happening. I mean, after, you know, sort of uh, seeing that Facebook post that he put together, it kind of seemed like Connor was going to be holding out. And then it suddenly, you know, magically got fixed. um, Or, you know, maybe that was just Connor trolling us as it appears it is. Um, so I mean, man, like, I'm just, I'm just really, really mind boggled as to kind of what is going on and what is the, the truth. The conspiracy theories are coming out of the woodwork. The, the, you know, the, um, uh, the idea that, you know, uh, this could still happen is out there. I think it's just one of those situations that the UFC, I mean, and you and I talked about this a little bit before we started filming the podcast, um, recording it. And, you know, it's one of those situations where the UFC just needs to give us a clear, no, Connor and Nate are not fighting at UFC 200. Because right now it seems like, haha, you know, they might be fighting, I don't know, they're not fighting. Um, So I think we just need a definitive, no, this is not happening. Here's your new main event. Or, okay, Connor, we talked it out or something. We we made an arrangement. He is fighting. We just need an answer at this point.
1: And that's the thing for me. It feels kind of reminiscent of, and I'm going to be dating myself here because you go back to uh, The Ultimate Fighter when Chuck and Tito were coaching. And we saw the shots from inside the gym with Rich Franklin's face going up and Tito's coming down. <laughs> and I remember Showdown Joe had Dana on Sportsnet or on yeah, on Sportsnet and said, Dana, look, there's all these rumors that Tito's hurt and he's not gonna fight Chuck in Vancouver and he's gonna be replaced by Rich Franklin. And Dana said, No, that's absolutely not happening. This fight is still going on. I'm telling you the God's honest truth. And then of course we all know what happened. Um Rich Franklin replaced Tito Ortiz, who was hurt, didn't fight Chuck Liddell. That's what came to Vancouver for the first time. And so there's just that expectation. And at the end of the day, I think the consensus from talking with people in Las Vegas last week as all of this was playing out is that it just feels like there was was room for a compromise here and we got to the point where neither side wanted to back down and neither side really wanted to compromise. And they were just like, no, I want my terms, and if you don't agree to them, then I'm not coming. And the other side says, well, I want my terms, and if you don't agree to them, then you're not fighting. And they say, well, fine, and they just storm out of the room, and then it's like, really? You're going to leave all that money on the table? Like People are more interested in this fight now than they were when it was announced, which is crazy, because it's still the same fight. It's still the rematch that doesn't really make sense, (laughs) but it's it's become a new thing. It has become an animal unto itself, And it feels like now, because neither side wants to relent, that it's a a bigger missed opportunity. The funny thing to me, and and I sort of mentioned this in the post that will be up on Tuesday morning on Keyboard Kimura, is that all of this, so Connor's objection and sort of Connor's reason for being in this position is that he didn't want to do all the media associated with this fight card. You know, hell-bent on getting revenge, wants to train, doesn't want to break things up wanted to restructure it. And I know John Kavanaugh was on the MMA Hour today with Ariel Hawani talking about he was ready to do some in May. We were going to come over five weeks out to do camp in Los Angeles before we go to Las Vegas. Why couldn't he have done it at the end of May? And things like that. And he would have done New York, which is closer than the trip from Iceland where he was training with Gunny Nelson and the Mjolnir team. To me, though, all of this stuff over the last few days and the last week and going on into this week just makes more interest in Conor McGregor just increases the number of media requests and obligations that he's going to have whenever he fights next, because he will fight next because this dude is not retired. He's not leaving. However many millions of dollars are on the table, depending on what's left on his contract on the table. And so whenever this fight comes together, Those media requests are still going to be there, and now they're not tied to UFC 200. So maybe you don't have to go and film this crazy commercial, but you'd be nuts to think that this doesn't become a bigger deal the next time around. So you're going to have those media obligations. You're going to have to go out on the road and do these things, especially if this drags out and this becomes a situation where they really dig their toes in and say, well, you know, we heard Dana White on Friday say, no, he won't be fighting on that New York card. You think that doesn't piss Carter McGregor off, like you think that wasn't maybe part of his play here was like, well, if I don't do two hundred, i'll do New York, and now the u f c is sort of doing the like, well, no, if you don't do two hundred, you don't just automatically come back onto New York this is gonna this could drag out and become a stalemate where every month that he's out, every event where he's not announced as going to be fighting just increases the amount of media rounds he's going to have to do after this. So are you going to just keep holding out? And if that's the case, and eventually you're going to have to relent because you're either actually going to have to retire, or you're going to have to relent or meet in the middle, which would be the best decision for all grown-up parties, but it (laughs) seems we're not going to get there. You're going to have to do this stuff that you don't want to do. So why not do it now for this event that's going to be massive where you can be the star that you have wanted to be. And that has been my sort of bone of contention in all of this. And I'm going to get on my soapbox for a very brief little minute here. Cotter McGregor coming out and saying, I need to get back to what got me to this point is the most asinine thing in the world when he's then Mm -hmm. objecting to doing promotional work because the promotional work is a huge part of what got him to this point. If it was just about performance in the cage and it was just about, you know, the results he was getting, then Demetrius Johnson would be a absolute goddamn megastar. But it's not. It's about the 60 G's baby when he wins his first fight. It's about the media day on his own in in Boston when he fights Max Holloway and they hook him up with Peter Welch's gym. And they start showcasing him from the get-go and telling everybody, this is a guy you need to watch. It's about building that January card last year around him, giving him a layup against Dennis Seaver, and then him jumping into the audience and getting in Jose Aldo's face. What got him to the point of being able to command a million dollars for his last fight is all of the promotional stuff. It's all of the marketing, it's all of the sound bites. So for Connor and John Kavanaugh to come out and say, Would you rather see him fight or would you rather have the sound bites? seems just completely obtuse to me because the two go hand in hand. This isn't just fighting where we don't have promotion. These are mixed martial arts promotions. That part is tethered to it. And so you can't to me it just seems hollow to say I want to get back to what I'm doing that got me here. What I was what I was doing that got me here. It's the promotion that got you here. Yes, you're a phenomenal talent. But if you're a phenomenal talent that didn't say anything you wouldn't be making a million dollars a fight in disclosed pay plus obscene amounts of money on pay-per-view cuts. That's what got you here. And so, sorry, bud, but it kind of comes with the territory. Get out and promote the fight. <laughs> like, I don't understand why why they didn't put... I mean, I guess they did put a compromise on the table and the UFC just said no. But at that point, don't you just say, okay, we tried and go and do it? Like... That's what got you to where you are now, and if that's what like I get where he's coming from, and listen, I think a hundred percent these guys do a ton these men and women do a ton of promotional work. It comes with the territory, especially when you're the biggest star in the game. I mean that Danny was Danny Austin from the Calgary Sun talking about this throughout the week. The biggest stars in every sport are the guys that do the most promotional work. He doesn't walk into the Calgary Flames locker room at the end of a game and go to the dude that played eight minutes, it's Johnny Goudreau that's standing in front of <laughs> all of the media. Same with us here in, in Vancouver. It's the twins that we want to talk to. It's Ryan Miller that we want to talk to. It's the bigger names that we're drawn to. It's not, hey, rookie, what did you think? And So that's part of it too. And And so as much as I feel for Connor and I understand where he's coming from, I also think there's an element of it where it's like, you know what, dude? you have to, you played this game so well to get to this point, you can't now say, I don't want to play anymore, especially when it's a fight that you pushed for.
0: Yeah,
1: and I mean, I, I think that, he, you know, Car
0: is a really smart guy. I mean, he, re- he realizes exactly, you know, um, what got him there, I think, you know, and the the promoting is a absolutely huge part of this, whole you know whole situation that got him to where he is today he realized that and i think that it's just in the best interest of both sides to you know really sit down and talk and figure this whole thing out um once and for all just kind of see where both sides stand and where they can get to a compromise because the longer the ufc goes on you know, with no Connor on event after event, it's a bad look for the UFC, too. I mean, let, let's be honest. Connor's the biggest guy in the sport, mainstream appeal. It looks bad for the UFC if they go event after event. No Connor McGregor, um, you know, no new announcement. And for Connor McGregor, it's bad because he's, you know, inactive. He's not doing anything in terms of competition. So both sides need to come to the table and be like, look, we had this messy situation, but let's figure out a compromise because we can make a whole lot more money together and figure this thing out and just, just move forward because the longer this thing is at a standstill, the worse it's going to get.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and with Nate jumping in with the looks like I'm going on vacation, <laughs> maybe that's us getting a little nod to what's going to happen. Maybe that's just Nate playing around and, and wanting to get in on it. I mean, when Connor tweeted his retirement, Nathan Diaz, of course, followed up with my work here is done. I'm retired too, which then set off a chain reaction of everybody retiring on Twitter for various things and Whataburger saying that they would never retire from Whataburger because they're too delicious Uh, which was hilarious. But I have a feeling that we will probably still be talking about this next week. I'm actually in the works to get my friend and Irish MMA expert, Peter Carroll on the show later this week to talk about it, because I think we're going to have some drama. Pete's, has got very good insight. He's one of the severe MMA boys. They've been covering Connor from jump street. They have good takes. I'm sure we will have some arguments about it, but it will all be in good fun. For now, dude, it has been a long seven days for me, so I'm ready Mm -hmm. to say peace out. I'm glad that we don't have an event this weekend. I can kick back. and visit with my wife, who was kind enough to let me dip out for our anniversary over the weekend. So happy anniversary to my wife, Sarah. Thank you, Patrick, for jumping on. We will have coverage of everything that happens in the UFC, be it the Conor Saga, be it other fight announcements, Daniel Cormier getting cleared, UFC 200 getting cleared up. All of that will be on Keyboard Kimura. You can follow the blog on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura. You can follow Patrick at P-A-T-C-W-I-K-L-I-N-S-K-I. I'm pretty sure I got that right. You got it. (laughs) You can follow me at Spencer Kite. As always, we thank you for listening. We hope you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all of those spots. I would say enjoy the fights, but we don't have any fights this weekend. So enjoy the weekend. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your time away. And we will talk to you later on. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboard kimura.